Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman, coming back at you from the Florida Panhandle on your headphones, your car speakers, laptop speakers, mobile devices, and anything else you may be listening to this podcast from. I thank you very much for tuning in. On this episode of the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, I'm going to be reviewing the Judo World Championships from Budapest, Hungary. Hopefully many of you were able to catch this event. I thought it was in a time zone that worked out particularly well for me. Not so much for the preliminary rounds, but but most especially for, for the medal rounds, the, 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 the final block. That, was, that worked out really, really well for me. And hopefully, hopefully you all were able to catch some of this, at least some of the people that work from home. The benefit for me, I, I, I got three monitors on my desktop, and it's, it's really all for work, not for gaming at all. And I had some real estate on my third monitor to use to keep a small browser open. And I basically just picked one of the mats. Uh, oops, sorry about that. One of the mats that are commentated, and I watched most of the action. It was... Probably three days of the final blocks I was able to watch live, and the rest of it I've I've caught up on, and, and I caught some of the matches that that I missed live. Now I don't know what the rest of you thought, but I I so some of my some of my observations just on on the tournament as a whole is I really thought apart from the time zone just working out really perfectly for me. I, I think I already said it, but the final block for me was right around. Uh, 11 a.m. So it's it just I, I typically don't have many meetings throughout that throughout the next from 11 to 12:30 ish my time. So I was able to watch a lot of action from the final block. Not every single match, like I said, but but certainly in a, f- a few days. Some of the things that stood out to me, the video presentation, I really thought was the best uh, to date. It was the best uh, from, in terms of world championships, in terms of overall television production. I tell you what, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think the IJF does a fantastic job with media in regards to covering their sport, uh, especially uh, on uh on YouTube, you would think that just using YouTube, you would get a, a, a lower tiered product, but just the camera angles, the action, the the behind the scenes stuff, the post fight interviews, things like that, they just they just do a really good job. I don't know who they got managing that, but it seems to me it's a person that has a tremendous amount of experience covering sports. And and if they're if they're not that person, then they they certainly have a they're just gifted. So I just thought the camera angles, the work, the advertising, which I thought was great. I thought it all worked. I, I thought the presentation was fantastic. A big thing that I was very disappointed with because I typically watch on YouTube. I know some people, I don't know if Epon.tv still exists. And I know some people may watch the stream you know, through their local sports channel. I know there's other sports channels besides uh, ESPN or I call it BSPN. But I was really disappointed that the IJF shut down the comments section for their live stream. This was probably the first time I remember doing that. I don't really know if they did that for uh, the previous events, but I, or at least I don't remember. But for this one, it's I always like having a conversation with fellow judo enthusiasts from around the world. Sometimes uh, when I'm reading the chat, I have my Google Translate up just so I can 
copy and paste to see what people are saying in other languages. And I, I enjoy that interaction. And, and sometimes I used to respond to people, you, you whatever the case may be, in their in their native language. That way, you know, we were able to communicate and, and, and things like that. I always enjoyed that aspect, that global community aspect uh, when watching IJF World Tour events. But they shut down the comments, and I, I really don't know why. I really don't think there is any need for it. I, I don't know... I don't know if there are things happening politically in Budapest that that maybe that they were concerned about, you know, the comments being taken over by by bad actors. So whatever the reasons are, I hope the IJF brings back that feature to their live feeds because that just would be a shame if if that's gone forever. Now, one of the other things that I noticed uh, in in terms of the world championships, apart from the actual matches. And maybe maybe many of you noticed other things that I'm from what I'm talking about, but I really felt the lack of a crowd presence there uh, took away from the from the excitement of some of the matches a little bit. I'm I'm one of those guys that really think the live crowd watching a live watching an event makes a difference in the um in in just the significance of certain history making events. And there were many performances during these world championships from from so many different athletes representing so many different nations that warranted great applause and great, you know, cheering and, and clapping and all of that kind of stuff. Great excitement. The excitement of some of the great moments of these world championships just felt a little bit diminished with, uh, to me without the crowd. And boy, I think this is a precursor of what we're going to see uh, in the Olympics. And with regards to excitement and such, boy, thank God for Neil Adams because he did through his commentary, which was just just spot on, by the way, um, brought excitement to the matches. And, and I think seriously, it, it it takes a great announcer to to kind of make up for maybe the lack of excitement that you're getting from the crowd simply because there just weren't a lot of people there. And again, I'm sure that has to do with COVID protocols and things like that. But Neil made it exciting, and 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 again, I, I thought he was just phenomenal and right on point with his commentary and his assessment on some of the some of the scores and stuff. That I didn't see too many bad calls, you know. In fact, I don't think I saw any honest to goodness bad calls. Maybe questionable calls, but but thankfully, by and large, from the matches that I watched, the athletes determined the outcome of the match and not the referees. That's to me that is the most important thing when it comes to officiating. You 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 have to call a fair match, right? But you got to let the athletes determine the outcome of the contest as much as possible, and I thought the refs did a good job with that in most circumstances. So with that, I want to get right away uh, to talking about the results. I'd like to start with the under 60 kilo division. And the reason why I'm starting with the under 60 kilo division is because I just want to get through it. I don't know what it is about this division. It's not the athletes themselves. I I don't care. I, I don't know why I don't care. This would be like... If, if I was a young man and an athlete, I probably would have to cut weight all the way down to either, well, certainly either 66 kilos or maybe under 60 kilos. That that group of athletes, the, the, the size, the height, the weight, that that's me out there 20 years ago. 
But for some reason, I could not care less about this division. I, I just, I don't find the judo that interesting. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, so I'm just going to power through it and, and talk about the results, talk about what I liked and didn't like. So the gold medal winner of the under 60 kilo division was Yago Abulzade of RJF, which for these world championships uh, is a imaginary country in the sky somewhere because any Russian athlete cannot represent their country in the world championships or the Olympic Games. So they are flying a neutral flag and RJF presumably stands for Russian Judo Federation, but we can make up anything they want because it, their country in terms of these world championships and Olympics does not exist. And Abu Dalze uh, defeated uh, Guzman Kurzakbayev of Kazakhstan. I did not like the way the uh, initial Wazari for the Osaikomi is called. I do not like... And look, I know the referee made the correct call here according to rule set. I don't like Osaikomi with your hips pointing toward the ceiling. I don't, to me... Maybe I'm just old school and things like that, but every every hold down should be done with the hips facing uh, towards the floor, not towards the ceiling. I I don't quite remember when this rule change happened, but I don't like the rule change. I don't. I know I've talked about it in the past. I've never really cared for it, and and this was just. I mean, it was a, it was great effort on uh, Abu Zaldi's day's part. But for me, you want to call me a grandpa, want to call me just an old fogey that sticks to traditions or whatever. I want to see Osai Komi with the hips pointing down. I, I don't, I don't like the whole backstretch. You know, I don't, I don't like that. It, it feels, just feels wrong to me. I don't know. And then about a minute later, uh, Abul Adze ended up getting the Wazari Awaseti Ipon with, I, I guess, I would call it a, an Osotogari, just. True effort on, on his part. It was a great finish. And in the bronze medal match, uh, Francisco Gardagos of Spain defeated Walid Kaihar of France. And in the other bronze medal contests, Karamat Husainov of Azerbaijan defeated Magzan Shamshadin of Kazakhstan. Now for the seventh place finishes, the, the one of the seventh place finishers was Unubold. Oh boy, I can't even pronounce his last name. Like Havagjans of Mongolia, and the other seventh place finisher was Yanislav uh, Gershev of Bulgaria. Something to keep in mind: uh, to my surprise, there was no Japanese representation in the top seven. Nagayama of Japan uh, ended up getting bounced out relatively early in the, in the third round, losing to uh, Husainov. And now despite that loss though, Nagayama is still the overall points leader on the world ranking list on the IJF. Now a notable absence in, in this under 60 kilo division was Takato Naohisa of Japan who is going to be the uh, Olympic representative in the under 60 kilo division. So he's probably just taking this tournament off in preparation for the Olympics. Not every Olympian, uh, not every uh, judoka Going to the Olympics did that. So we had a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Olympians going into the, these world championships did show up. Now, one that did not show up was Daria Bilodid of the Ukraine. I think she was out on a modeling shoot somewhere. So that left the door wide open to have a new 
world champion crowned in the under 48 kilo division, and that went to Natsumi Tsunoda of Japan, no surprise there, who defeated her fellow countrywoman, uh, Wakana Koga. Now, I'm really not quite sure how this match was won. I know Tsunoda got a Daki Wakari for a Wazari, and then they were in some some sort of a scramble, an exchange in Nawaza, and I did not hear the referee call Osaikomi. The camera angle for me was pretty bad, so I don't really know what happened. Perhaps it was a Jujikatami. They were really tangled up in this weird way. I don't know how she got the Wazari Awaseti Ipon, but Tsunoda is your winner here. Koga earns a silver. In the one of the bronze medal contests, you had uh, Mukbat of Mongolia defeating Distria Krasniki of Kosovo. And in the other bronze medal contest, you had Julia Figueroa of Spain defeating uh, Kaisi Perafan of Argentina. Really interesting ending here. This was one of those matches where you have a failed Yoko Otoshi, which people are calling Kataguruma these days. I don't like that. Figueroa realizes she's stuck and pretty much just dives forward and gets uh, Pedafan on her back for the Wazari. And then she finishes off with the Wazari Awaseti Ipon and with Osaikomi. So in seventh place, you have Laura Martinez Abalzanza of Spain uh, finishing seventh, like I just said. And the other seventh place finisher is uh, Shireen Bukli of France. And as I mentioned before, some of the notable absences from this division was... Uh, Funa Tonaki of Japan and certainly Daria Bilu did. Now moving on to the under 52 kilo division. The gold medal winner was Ai Shishime of Japan defeating Anna Perez Box of Spain with a beautiful Uchimara leading right to the my favorite hold down Kamishi Ogatame. I thought both ladies had a very nice day leading up to this final and it was a good match just uh, didn't go, go uh, Perez Box's way. Now, in the bronze medal contest, one of the winners was Galen Primo of Israel defeating Diora Keldiorovora of, of Uzbekistan. And in the other bronze medal contest, you had Fabienne Kocher of Switzerland defeating Joanna Ramos of Portugal. And it should go without saying, uh, one of the, the biggest notable absence in this division was Uta Abe, who is, has to be preparing for her uh, uh, first Olympics. A couple of other notable absences for me was Armadine Bouchard of France and Odette Jufrida uh, of Italy. I I was I wasn't sure if some of those if they would show up, and clearly they did not. Now moving on to the under sixty six kilo division, it was won by Yoshiro Maruyama of Japan. Now, this is really great. After we saw him lose to Hifumi Abe to to earned their way to the final under 66 kilo spot to represent the All Japan Judo Federation in the Olympics, I kind of thought Maruyama would be done. And certainly that was speculated uh, with by the Japanese media, at least some members of the Japanese media and, and other people out there, that maybe Maruyama would have been done after these... Uh, after that head-to-head matchup with Abe. But but it was good to see him out there, and he is your current under-66 kilo world champion. And what makes this really interesting to me, he, he defeated Manuel Lombardo of Italy. Now, the interesting thing here, I'm going to bring this up again in the under-57 kilo division. I'm of the opinion that Abe had better win the, the, the Olympics. 
Because all of this time, I've been making the argument that it should have been Hifumi Abe all along because he had won more world championships up to that point and he's got more medals on the IGF World Tour. But listen, Maruyama is now your back-to-back world champion. There was no event in 2020, but... He won it in 2019, and he won it this year. And the pressure's on Hifumi Abe. If he doesn't perform, I got to believe somebody's head's going to roll uh, in AJJF headquarters because they can't. They this is the way that they decided to go. I thought, I still think it was the right way to go about it, to have a head-to-head. And certainly the judo world loved it. But I have to believe there's even more pressure on Hifumi Abe to win this thing because if he doesn't, boy, that debate is going to rage for a long time whether or not it should have been Maruyama to go to the Olympics. So again, Michael Lombardo with the silver medal. The bronze medal contest went to Yondan Perleni of Mongolia, defeating Zukmakanov of Kazakhstan. And the other bronze medal winner was Yakub Shmailov, defeating Orkan Safarov of Azerbaijan. And Shmailov representing the RJF. Now, for me, some of the notable absences apart from Hifumi Abe, uh, Anbao did not make an appearance at these world championships. I'm not quite sure if he's... I got to believe he's going to be at the Olympics, right? I I don't know for sure. Now, seventh place finishes went to Dimitri uh, Minku of Belarus, and the other seventh place finish went to Kylian Lebluch of France. Now, the under 57 kilo division... Boy, what a cluster you know what this ended up being. And I don't, well, I guess I do mean that negative. Look, all right, so here. Jessica Klimkate, Klimkate of Canada is now your world champion. And what I mean a cluster you know what, I'm not talking about her win. It was a well-deserved win. She absolutely deserved it. She put on a brilliant performance all day. But here's the problem. Well, not a problem for me, a problem for Team Canada. They went through all this effort to get Krista Deguchi to represent Team Canada. They pried her away from Japan. She went through all this rigmarole to be on Team Canada, had to you know, go through all that waiting period, wins the world championship uh, in 2019. And basically, Team Canada tried to import a, a world and Olympic champion uh, to represent Canada. And she's not going. It has to be Jessica Klimkate. They may, how could, I mean, she's going, all this effort for Deguchi to get over to make an Olympic team, and it's not going to happen. And let me tell you, from Deguchi's point of view and Team Canada's point of view, the worst thing that could have happened in, in this situation is for Klim Kate to, to, to win a gold medal. That's... Had she not won the gold medal, this wouldn't be an issue. Many people still think that Gucci should be the one going to represent Team Canada, and I don't. It seems like from people that I've that that have gotten in touch with me throughout the world, uh, I if somebody from France mentioned something. I, I don't remember who it was, but people want to see the Gucci in these World Championships. However. Klim Kate did the one thing she absolutely had to do to secure her spot, and that's win gold at the World Championships. So she's going. A lot of people think, you, myself included, that that Team Canada should have had the head to, the same type of head to head that uh, that the All Japan Judo Federation had for Maruyama and Abe, but they scrapped it because they were worried about the sickness out there. And I want to say, listen. 
by no means am I putting down Klim Kate's performance. She absolutely deserves to go to the Olympics after this. I just think, I mean, I look, I'm not, I'm not trying to kick Team Canada while they're down. I, I just think that the way that they handled this was, was not the best way. I think having the head-to-head was a better decision. And Deguchi ended up finishing in fifth place. She lost to Teresa Stoll from Germany, who ended up winning the bronze. The other bronze medal contest was won by Nova uh, uh, Jakova of Kosovo, defeating Marcia Perisic of Serbia. And if I didn't say it already, Jessica Klimkate defeated uh, Tamaoki Momo of Japan. Now moving on to the under-73 kilo division, which was not won by Hashimoto Sochi of Japan. That's a surprise, at least to me anyway. This division was won by Lasha Shavdatuashvili of Georgia, defeating Tommy Masias of Sweden. Shadatuashvili was a winner by Shido. Tommy Masias racking up three Shidos for the loss, but he still earns a silver medal. Now, something I want to bring up with regards to that third Shido, I completely disagree with that call. In fact, I really thought it was a bad call in this instance here because Masias was shoved out of bounds uh, to earn that third Shido. And Shabdatuishvili had him locked up in a way where I don't think it was possible for Masias to be able to do an actual throw, uh, one where he would be able to turn around and, and and get some sort of a score. I suppose he might have been able to drop down with some sort of Yoko Sutemiwaza, but the way he was locked up, I, I don't think, you know, had he done that, he would have been scored on anyway. So in my view, you know, the, the, I think the referees do a great job with the rule sets that they are told to officiate. So... In my opinion, they do a great job 99% of the time. Sometimes there are calls that I think are questionable, but I always tend to go with the side of the ref. But I don't know. In my view, this was one of those rare bad calls, in my opinion. Now, for the bronze medal contest, uh, Hashimoto wins his contest again. uh, Heydarov of Azerbaijan with a beautiful Osotogari. Wow, what an unusual grip. It's, it was really hard to describe, but you got to watch it. It's it, it, Hashimoto's like head was behind uh, Heydarov's arm and it managed to still throw him with Osotogari and, and not land on his face, which was a nice thing. In the other bronze medal contest was won by Bilal Sigoglu of Turkey, defeating uh, Turayev of Uzbekistan. The seventh place finishes went to... Uh, Salvador Casas Roca of, of Spain and Miklus Ungavari of Hungary. Heck of a day for him. Dude's 40. My God, a 40-year-old in the under-73 kilo division. I could understand somebody pushing 40, you know, in the heavyweights, but man, what a career. Goodness gracious, 40 years old. Amazing. Now, moving on to the under-63 kilo division, to my surprise, Clarice Agbegnenu showed up to this event and she won gold. And let me tell you, she's truly amazing. She's probably in my top five for sure favorite athletes to watch on the IGF World Tour. And I'm going to sit here and tell you, in my opinion, her run and her dominance of the under 63 kilo division is just as impressive to me as Teddy Renner's dominance of the plus 100 kilo division for 10 plus years. Just as impressive to me. I mean, if I looked at the, the statistics correctly, the last time she 
she didn't place in the top seven of any event was the world championships 10 years ago. And this is now her fifth world championship. And she defeated Andreja Leski of Slovenia. And Leski really was outmatched in this contest, in my opinion. Really, everybody on this day was outmatched by, by Agvik Nenu. She, uh, three of her four wins uh, leading up to the final block were won in Nawaza. And of those three, one was via Osaikomi, one was via uh, Shimewaza, and one was via Kansetsuwaza. It almost makes me think that she just showed up to the world championships just to iron out some of her kinks to try and win an Olympic medal. Almost like a tune-up. <laughs> the world championships being used as a tune-up for the Olympic Games. That's amazing. But that's exactly what it looked like to me watching Clarice fight. Now for the bronze medal contest, uh, one bronze was won by Kelitin uh, uh, Quadros of Brazil, defeating uh, Sané Vermeer of the Netherlands. And the other bronze medal was won by Anja Obradovic of Serbia, defeating Enrique Riz Barrios of Venezuela. And seventh place finishes were owned by uh, Sophie Osbas of Hungary and Melin del Toro Carabajal of Cuba. The under 81 kilo division was won by Matthias Casse of Belgium. Now, I want to say right off the bat that in 2019, I kind of threw a little shade at uh, at Matthias Casse, suggesting that he may not have earned a silver medal if he wasn't for uh, Saeed Molai dealing with the Iranian government. Now, I don't know if that's considered shade, being disrespectful, or if that was just being truthful and honest, because that's really how I felt at the time. But in the 2021 World Championships, that opinion does not apply. And he is currently the reigning under 81 kilo world champion and, in my opinion, the best in the world right now, at least in that division. He defeated Tato Grigashvili of Georgia, and it was a really hard-fought contest by both gentlemen. I mean, let's be real. They're all hard-fought, right? But it just seemed like the effort level on Grigashvili's part was just, just so much effort, and he was really gassing out toward the end of this match. Now, in Golden Score, Kase gets a huge throw, and it went to video review because it, it appeared that Grigalishvili, it wasn't a score. Uh, Grigalishvili was looking to counter Kase's Ukegoshi with an Uranage, but Kase changed direction. And I, I, don't, I don't even know why, where the debate was in this one, personally. I saw the Wazari right, right away, and it looked good to me. And when they went to video review, it was confirmed that it was a good score. And the decision was uh, upheld. And so, great win by Kase. Just just, um, just overall an excellent day for him. I mean, hell, after all, if you, if you win the world championships, you had an excellent day. You went undefeated, right? Now, in the bronze medal contest, you had Frank DeWitt defeating, uh, or of the Netherlands defeating uh, Fujiwara Sotaro of Japan. And in the other bronze medal contest, you had uh, Shao Fidin Boltaboev of Uzbekistan losing to Henri... Uh, Egotizde of Portugal. Now, I wanted to make a comment about Frank DeWitt and the Netherlands. You guys would probably be surprised to find out that in terms of overall medals earned, the Netherlands were second to Japan. Now, granted, they were all bronze medals, and they also had a couple of seventh-place finishes, but my goodness, what a day for the Netherlands as, as, a, as a team. 
Now, Frank DeWitt, I, I've mentioned this before, is one of my favorite players to watch on the IGF World Tour. He had a really nice day. I, I really watched all of his matches because I, I really like his personality. I like his style of judo. I like his approach to judo. He kind of he kind of goes for broke. He really goes for it all to the point that he tends to make mistakes, in my opinion. Now, I'm not his coach. I'm not, I'm not saying that with, a, with an experienced critical eye. It just seems to me that he's not a very cautious fighter. He actually, it seems like he throws caution to the wind. And it ends up keeping him out of a lot of opportunities for gold and silver medals in, in, in many events. And I think a perfect example of this that illustrates his approach is his match against Grigalishvili in the semifinal. Left versus right situation, Frank DeWitt, he's got his, his right hand on Grigalishvili's lapel. Leaves a lot of space and gets tossed with a beautiful Tayatoshi by Grigalishvili. Fori Pawn with 22 seconds into the contest. I'm thinking to myself, dude, what are you doing? Even I know a little bit better than that. And look, I assume all of these high-level athletes have a game plan. It's just, this is the type of stuff that I see Frank DeWitt do that keeps him out of finals. So I'm sure he and his team and his coaches will have a game plan for the Olympics. And I still think I could find, I, I still think, I can still see Frank DeWitt having the kind of day uh, where he wins Olympic gold. I really do. He certainly has what it takes. It's just a matter of being just a little bit more disciplined, in my opinion. Now moving on to the under 70 kilo division, which was won by Barbara Matic of Croatia. You can call her the Croatian sensation as she defeats Yoko Ono. Uh, not that Yoko Ono from Japan. She wins on a Kosoto uh, Gaki for Wazari with about 40 seconds left to go in regulation. Now, here's the thing with that call. This is another one of those calls that I don't like. I, I've made it clear. I don't like continuation. I'm not a big fan of it. But I can understand continuation when there is a Wazari and you have continuation for Ipon. I can accept that. It makes me sick to my stomach a little bit, but I can take it, right? But what I don't like is seeing a no-score have continuation into Wazari. I don't like that at all. I think that's bad for the sport. I, I really do. And maybe if uh, Mr. Marius Wieser has one of his Twitter Q&As sometime soon, I think he's ducking me. Um, I'm going to bring it up and ask him about it because uh, he listens to me. Would you believe it? A few years ago when I complained about the the never-ending Wazaris, I, I said that they should change it. I, I asked Mr. Vizer about it, and sure enough, bam, what happens? It gets changed. Of course, they lowered the standards of scoring for Wazari and Pawn, so I couldn't win either way. All right, where was I? Okay, yeah, the bronze medal contest. In the one bronze medal contest, you had uh, Micaela Poliares of Austria, Sounds like a Spanish name there. Defeating Megan Fletcher of Ireland. Ireland. I don't think I've seen Ireland represented in a final block. Uh, certainly not over the past five years. And if I and if it's happened before, I just don't remember. So let's see. In the other bronze medal contest, you had San Van Dijk of the Netherlands defeating Miriam uh, Butkerate of Germany. And in this match, this was one of those situations where I think they could have called a continuation from Wazari to Ipon, but they didn't do it. And I feel like I've seen this a couple of times during the World Championships, more than a couple of times during the World Championships, where I felt 
I felt the calls were not consistent. And again, I'm not complaining here because I actually do like watching uh, the IJF World Tour. I really do. But I would like to see some consistency in the scores. Some some scores that are called Wazari are, are called the pawn, and some that are no score are called Wazari. This there's not a, a sense of consistency with the scoring. I think overall, like I said before, the rest do a pretty good job. I think they do an excellent job, but the rules leave a lot to interpretation uh, as they are currently written. So hopefully, after the Olympics, uh, maybe next year we'll see some changes there. The seventh place finishers in this division went to Ioi Coughlin of Australia and Maria Portela of Brazil. Now in the under 90 kilo division, the winner of this division should really come as no surprise. That would be Nicole's uh, Sharazdishvili uh, de España defeating de, uh, Davlad Bobanov of Uzbekistan. What an pawn by Sharazdishvili. I, I tell you, it was amazing. Bobanov goes for a Kosoto Gari, gets stuck. And Sharazdishvili changes direction and gets a huge Ouchigari and Golden Score to win his second world championship for Ipon. It was a massive throw. When you talk about bone rattling, uh, no doubt in my mind type of Ipons, this was it. And to me, anything less than this kind of Ipon should be scored with Zari every time. So again, uh, Sharaz Dishvili earns his second world championship. The, the silver medal goes to Bobanov. The bronze medal winners were Marcus Nyman of Sweden defeating Kenka Nagasawa of Japan. And in the other bronze medal contest, you had uh, Christian Toth defeating Atlan Bagana uh, Gantulga of Mongolia. I think I nailed that one. The seventh place finishers in the under 90 kilo division was Remy uh, Fulay of, of Mauritius. And Islam Bozbaev of Kazakhstan. And let me tell you here, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I've never heard of Mauritius, the country, in my life. I, I had to look it up in the map. It turns out it's off the coast of Madagascar, southeast of Madagascar, it appears. And how about this? I'm going to offer some money. Do I have any listeners in Mauritius? Because if I do, I will give you some, I'll give you 50 bucks. How about that? You got to prove it somehow that you're actually from the island of Mauritius. Maybe uh, maybe show me your ID or something like that. Not, not ID. That's a little too personal. You got to be able to sing the Mauritius National Anthem on the podcast. How about that? And I'll give you 50 bucks. I highly doubt I have a listener way out in Mauritius, but it would be awesome if I did. I had I never heard of the country in my life. I, I Honestly, I, I'm ashamed to admit it. Now, moving on to the under 78 kilo division, a brilliant win by Anna Maria Wagner of Germany with a huge Uchimata defeating the reigning world champion, Madeleine Malonga of France. And in this match, it was again one of those situations where I thought the, condi- the continuation on this throw would have scored any pawn, but it doesn't matter because she gets the Wazari and Golden Score, which guarantees her win. Now, in the bronze medal contest, you had uh, Gusti Steenhuis of the Netherlands defeating Marhinde Verkerk of the also of the Netherlands. Like I said earlier, the Netherlands had a really strong day today, or or at the World Championships, not today. And in the other bronze medal contest, you had uh, Umeki Mami of Japan uh, defeating Anastasia Tuchin of the Ukraine, Turchin of the Ukraine. Excuse me. 
Now, moving on to the under 100 kilo uh, final, which was a contest between Alexander Kukloj of Serbia uh, against Jose or Jorge Fonseca of Portugal. And for Fonseca in this match was the reigning world champion. And he managed to defend this title with a beautiful Sode Surikomi Goshi uh, for the Wazari with about a minute 40 to go. And then another throw 50 seconds later with an amazing coach, Igari. And quite frankly, it's no surprise to me to see Jorge uh, Fonseca dancing his way to a second world gold medal. And you know what? When you're a double world champion, you can do any dance on the tatami as far as I'm concerned because I don't care. And you can bet if he wins gold at the Olympics, he's going to be the star of Dancing with the Stars in Portugal. I'm sure there's a Portuguese version because I know there's an Italian version. Now, in the bronze medal matches, you had Michael Correll of the Netherlands uh, against Varlan Lipertiliani of, of Georgia. Lipertiliani throws Correll with a Yoko Sutemiwaza. Hard to tell for me, uh, or hard for me to tell what it was, whether you could call it Yoko Wakari-ish, maybe Yoko Guruma. He follows up with a Wazari and Osaitomiwaza uh, for the bronze medal. And in the other bronze medal contest, you had... Ilya Sulemanidze of Georgia defeating Shady Ainahas of Canada. Hopefully I got that name right. Now I'd like to say, I don't know what it is about the, the Netherlands. Again, like I said, they had a great day, but I really like their players. <laughs> Michael Correll is another one of those guys that I follow on the tour. One of my favorites to watch, and I believe he has an excellent chance at Olympic gold. They're just There's something about their judo be, between... Um, Steenhuis and DeWitt and Michael Corral, they've got really strong players. I like that team a lot. And I expect somebody on that team to get a bronze in the Olympics. I I, I got to believe it's going to happen at least. Now moving on to the plus 78 kilo division, which was a contest between Tomita Wakaba losing to Sarah Asahina who earns her third world championship. Now, let me tell you, I thought Sarah Asahina was going to retire. Honestly, I felt like I read that somewhere, and I don't remember where I read that. Maybe it was, oh gosh, either Judo Inside or, or JudoFan.com. I'm not sure where I read that. Uh, in 2019, she placed third in the last world championships, which was won by Sone Akira, and that secured uh, Akira's spot for the Olympic team, so... You know, leading up to that World Championships in 2019, I really thought Sarah Asahina was going to be uh, the the Olympic representative for Japan, but it ends up being Sone Akira, and that happened a couple of years ago. I wasn't sure if, if Sarah Asahina would show up, or, or I really thought she was done, so it was great to see her out there. Now, I want to point out that Sarah Asahina earned this victory because uh, Tomita could not continue due to an injury on her left knee. And you, you, Tomita, it, she limped to her spot to Ray to Asahina when she was declared the victor. And Sarah Asahina gives her a piggyback ride off of the tatami, off of the tatami and then manages to Ray off the contest area with uh, Tomita on her back. And, and carrying her to the coach's area, presumably to, to first aid. Let me tell you, that was one of the most remarkable displays of sportsmanship I have ever seen in my life. 
And honestly, for a world championship, I'm a little surprised that the the referee didn't, I don't know, force the issue and make uh, Sarah Asahina, you know, get back to her spot and bow off normally. But it really was a tremendous display of sportsmanship. It was just just a beautiful thing to see and truly represents, to me anyway, what judo should be about. Now, on one of the bronze medal contests, you had Maria Sulinen Athelman defeating Idalis Ortiz via Ipon in Golden Score with a huge Ouchigari. And honestly, I can't remember the last time I've seen Idalis Ortiz thrown like that. She is definitely one of the contenders for the gold in at the Olympics. She she's just that strong of a player. And Athelman is from Brazil. And the other bronze medal contest went to another Brazilian, which is Beatrice Souza of Brazil defeating Julia Tolafua of France. Now, last but not certainly not least, you have the plus 100 kilo division, which was won by Kageora Kokoro of Japan, who defeated Tamerlan Bashaev of the RJF. I didn't like the Wazari call in this match, if I'm being honest. But that is no means. Uh, that is by no means uh, uh, me diminishing his efforts. That is his first world championship. So congratulations to him. In the one bronze medal contest, you have Yakiv Kamomo uh, of the Ukraine defeating Gela Zalishvili of Georgia. In the other bronze medal contest, you have Roy Meyer of the Netherlands again defeating Rafael Silva of Brazil. Now I got to say, in the first bronze medal match that I that I referenced. Kamo of the Ukraine had an amazing throw. I, I I would call it almost like a traditional Uranage of sorts. Just almost, almost like Nage no Kata. Just facing his attacker and, and, and throwing him to the rear. It was it with a sacrifice throw. It was amazing. So yeah, so that's going to do it for my review of the World Championships. I, I think it was a fantastic event. Uh, a few bad calls. Mostly the calls were right on point, And I was thoroughly entertained. Now as of this recording, uh, which is currently happening on June 22nd, the International Judo Federation published the official list of athletes qualified to the Tokyo uh, 2020 Olympic Games. I guess, uh, I guess you can call this breaking news, right? Yeah, there you go. Bam! So I'm not going to run down every single person that is qualified because I'd be sitting here for the next hour reading 300 plus names. But I would like to take notice of Team USA. Team USA only has two athletes representing uh, judo in the Olympics. And that's Colton Brown in the under 90 kilo division. He gets in on the continental quota. And of course, Angelica Delgado uh, who is qualified because of her ranking. Now, she's currently ranked uh, number 20 in the world. I thought it was going to be a top 18, but maybe when they decided on this list, they had, she was already in the top 18. So uh, she's in the Olympics as a qualified participant. So it, I think this has got to be not only the smallest team that, that the United States has sent uh, for judo, but uh, quite frankly, probably the oldest team as well. Angelica Delgado is 30 and Colton Brown is 29 years old. So of the two, I, I think um, I think Angelica Delgado probably has the best chance to, to earn a top seven finish. And as we have seen in these Olympics in years past, 
you know, any one person can just have one of those days and 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 be champion. So I've seen, I've watched Colton uh, Brown fight at his best, and when he's on, he's on, and he's got just as good a chance as anybody in that division. So with that being said, best of luck to the both of you. I hope you all do well. And no matter what happens, I really hope that it's a memorable memorable experience that you can grow on and that the post-Olympic blues won't get you down too much because I guess that's a real thing according to just about every former Olympian I've ever talked to. So I'm going to start wrapping things up for this uh, hideous episode once again. I appreciate you all listening in. I'm still regularly training, but that's slowing down a little bit. I'm getting to the point where injuries are starting to pile up again, and it really sucks. The other day, actually, this was probably about two weeks ago now, uh, I got armbarred really quickly, and my arm popped, and it really hurt. So I had to take a couple of days off from, from practice. And as I'm recording this right now, I'm dealing with back spasms. That really sucks. I I probably deal with back spasms once or twice a year. I've been... I, I'm not sure what caused it, but I've been going to the gym, lifting weights a lot more uh, recently. Now that I've moved and settled into my town, I, f- I found a gym that I like, and I'm just I'm just building up my strength just for longevity. But every time I do this, I, I usually pull a muscle or something. I didn't pull a muscle in the gym. I, I pulled a muscle. I think I was just proper improper posture sitting on my couch for an extended period of time caused my back spasms to happen so really dumb on my part but but the arm was really hurting pretty badly and you know the funny thing is here is that I I came home from class that night after my arm got hurt and I'm telling my wife gosh you know this guy arm barred me and he, he came on really quick. I know he didn't he didn't do it intentionally. I've done it to other people. And, and today was just my day where it happened to me. My wife looks at me and she says, you do arm bars in judo? <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's serious. And in fact, it wasn't in judo. It was in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But she, it's easier for her to just call it judo. Because it is judo. Isn't Brazilian jiu-jitsu basically just judo or something like that? That's not my saying. That's what I keep seeing. The haters keep saying that. So yeah, for me personally, I haven't been thrown in quite some time. And In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I begged my jiu-jitsu instructor, please throw me. Can you just throw me? He wouldn't do it. All I've got going on right now is a few uchikomis here and there just to make sure that I can move my feet in the proper positions. But I'm doing a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. There just isn't a judo club around here. And I'm hoping to have a judo class at this club soon that I'm at, that uh, Zikor Academy in Mariana, Florida, my hometown. It's beautiful up here, by the way. I know I've said that before, but I got to say it again. I love it up here. But the mat situation, I think, has to be improved before we can do any sort of judo. At the very least, I, I need a crash pad. Because nobody will come back if I start throwing them on uh, puzzle mats, which is just throwing on top of concrete. That's just not going to work. I, I've been there, done that, and, and if I'm not going to hack it, I wouldn't expect other beginners to hack it. All right, I think that's going to do it for me. Before I sign off, just want to remind you all that if you want to reach out to me on any of my social media, you can do so. My Instagram and my Twitter is at Judoka. My email address is judochopsuishow at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, uh, search for Judo Chop Suey Podcast. 
Or you could just search for David Roman and add me as a Facebook friend. If you decide to do that, though, I do ask that you send me a personal message because if I don't know you and I don't and I and I don't know if you're a listener, I'm not going to accept a friend request. Or I might accept it if I see we have a bunch of mutual friends like like uh, in, in the judo community, then I'll probably accept it. All right. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. After party starts in 15 minutes. All right, so the after party. I watched this really fantastic show on Netflix over the past month or so. It's called Startup. It was originally a Crackle show, which I've I've maybe used the Crackle app maybe five times over the past four years. But this show was on was a Crackle original. And they ported it over to Netflix. And it's fantastic. It has three seasons. I don't think they're going to make another season. But if you have a chance to watch this show, I highly recommend it. I thought season one and season two were fantastic. Season three, it seemed to lose a little steam for me. But I thought overall it was a strong season. I don't think there's going to be another season. But I, I wish there was. I, I thought it would be. I, I thought it, I think it deserves another season for sure. Now, right now, I'm making my way through a, a show called The Godfather of Harlem. I think it's called The Godfather of Harlem. It's about uh, a gangster in the 1960s uh, by the name of Bumpy Johnson. I think that's his name. It's played by the, the main actor is Forrest Whitaker. And let me tell you, Forrest Whitaker is one of my favorite actors of all time. He, he really is. He just um, he he's such a talented actor. I think my favorite role that I've seen him in is The Last King of Scotland. Have you guys ever seen that? If you haven't, he played Idi Amin brilliantly in that in that movie. And it was a pretty horrible movie. Not not horrible as in a bad movie, just 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 the way that it ended. It was just it got so violent and so extreme. It was so uh such an intense movie. Now, I think the first movie I ever saw him in was uh, Good Morning Vietnam, which is an amazing movie uh, starring Robin Williams. And then about a year after that, I remember him in Bloodsport, which was one of my favorite uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. So yeah, Forrest Whitaker certainly delivers in this show, and he's just a tremendous actor, one of the best ever. All right, so let's see, what else? Oh, let me tell you, I've been going deep on the alien stuff. I know I've been bringing up the alien stuff over the past few after parties, but and this is not going to be any exception. I have been listening to archive show um radio shows from coast to coast AM. I wish I listened to this show when Art Bell was alive because Art Bell is a tremendous or was a tremendous broadcaster. Just a fantastic radio host. He just I, I was I was always familiar with him, but I never listened to Coast to Coast because it came on at, at midnight Eastern time. So 
I wasn't going to stay up till midnight to listen to talk radio, but Coast to Coast AM hosted by Art Bell was just just a fantastic show. So I've been downloading archive shows from the Coast to Coast uh, app. I signed up for the $6.95 a month deal, if you want to call it a deal. And I've just been going down this rabbit hole of various interviews that he's done with various people. And he's he really was a tremendous person. Because sometimes, like, you know, he'd have these callers call up and clearly they're just, they're, they, they've got a mental issue, right? But he was always very kind to not insult them or their perceived experiences or their maybe their real experiences and nobody believed them. But, but it seemed like Art Bell believed them. And he endeared himself to a lot of uh, he endeared himself to a lot of fans, millions of people. So nowadays, the the show is run by a fellow by the name of George Nuri, and I think he's okay. I I like George Nuri, but a lot of people don't. They people people call him George Snuri, which I think is very funny. And on the weekends, uh, another fellow, uh, George Knapp, hosts the Sunday shows, I believe, and. George Knapp has been one of the preeminent reporters when it comes to UFOs and UAPs and things like that. So I enjoy I enjoy George's work. He he does that show. He he writes for a, a website called Mystery Wire. I, I've I, I'm 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 all in. I'm all in on the old alien thing. I love it. I don't believe half of what I'm reading. I kind of mo- I chalk it mostly up to science fiction. But there's a never ending supply of stories and interviews and different things like that so I've been really enjoying it quite a bit let's see was there anything else um any movies that I've watched yeah there was this movie that I watched starring Tom Holland I think it was called the devil all the time or something like that it was on it's on Netflix it's a really good movie if you guys like it feels like a Stephen King movie the type of movie that that movie and story that Stephen King would do, it's not. I don't think it's a Stephen King uh, story, but um, it, it it is an excellent movie. Uh, I thought Tom Holland did a tremendous job playing his role. Speaking of Stephen King, this is there's been a couple of shows that I've watched over the past year that I thought were really bad. Castle Rock, which was uh, Stephen King inspired, I thought was terrible. And this is another show on Apple. This is another show on Apple TV called Lizzie's Story that I just thought was not very good at all. I, I don't know what they're trying to do there. It, it didn't hook me in the first episode. And I, I usually give a show two episodes before I write it off or be, or before I delve in. But I'll, I'll watch one more episode of Lizzie's Story. But but so far, it, it's a snoozer for me. It's, it's not very good at all. So anything else here? Uh, nope, that's going to be it. Talk to you all later.